0: Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's great to be with you. It's great to have you here. Um, it's great that you've been able to come out and uh, make the time and get here um, so that we can we can share together um, and encourage one another. Um, just as uh, we start um Lee uh, Campbell is back with us. Lee was saying he hasn't been here. He hasn't been here, So the last time Lee uh, spoke to us at Gospel in the City, we were still over in, in Nero. So it's been a while since Lee's been here, and it's great to have him uh, back with us. Before Lee comes up uh, to speak to us, I'm going to invite Tom up. Tom's going to come and just chat to us a little bit about something uh, that we're looking forward to in the next uh, few weeks. So, Tom. The 6th of March, which is only three weeks away, we'll be
1: having... Happy- Uh, uh, an event which would be particularly good for um, colleagues to come to. We've got a gentleman called Jeremy Marshall coming over from London. He um, was a very successful banker. He was CEO of the oldest um, private bank in the UK Hawes & Co. He was living the dream everything that this world strives for he had Uh, But in 2016, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and since then he has resigned from the bank. And um, he um, is a Christian man and he'll come and speak to us about how his Christian faith enables him to live in the face of um, imminent death, um, I suppose. So um, he um, is involved in his local church in London. He is also chairman of Christianity Explored, if any of you have heard of that. So he is a really great godly man, very good speaker, and he'll be coming and chatting to us about what it's like, Um a personal testimony about how his faith has impacted what's happened to him over the last few years. So that's three weeks today. Um, there will be flies available next week, hopefully. But then the week after that, Sam will be speaking on the, on the text of John 4 where Jesus raises um, the official son from the dead. And so the thought is that the combination of those would be good to invite our friends and, and colleagues to. Firstly, the personal testimony, and then the second week, more of a focus on um, uh, what Jesus has specifically to say in that situation. So, Get your thinking caps on, get the note in the diary, three weeks today.
0: Thank Thanks very much, uh, Tom. Um, so keep that in, in mind as well and, and maybe be thinking about who you could or how you could um, invite maybe colleagues along to that. Um, if you have your little Gospels in front of you or if you've uh, got your, your phone or um, your own Bible, uh, we're going to be st- starting into John chapter 4 today. We've been working our way, making our way through the gospel of uh, John and looking at what uh, the, the life uh, and the new start that Jesus has to offer us. And today we're, we're starting a, a three-part series um, looking at this chapter, chapter 4, and the story of, of Jesus uh, and the woman at the well. So today I'm going to be reading uh, chapter four, and it's going to be verses one and I'm going to be reading down to verse eighteen. Um, it says fifteen on your hand up, but we're going to be reading down to verse eighteen. So let me just read that to you before Lee comes to open it up for us. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisee had heard that sorry. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water "'so that I will not be thirsty "'or have to come here to draw water.' "'Jesus said to her, "'Go call your husband and come here.' "'The woman answered him, "'I have no husband.' "'Jesus said to her, "'You're right in saying I have no husband, "'for you have had five husbands, "'and the one that you have is not your husband. "'What you've said is true.' "'The woman said to him, "'Sir,' I perceive that you are a prophet. I'm going to end there. Let me just pray for Lee as he comes to, to speak with us. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us here today. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can gather in this place to, to hear from your word, um, to be encouraged, to be challenged. Uh, and Lord, as we, as we come here now in the middle of a busy day, we pray you'll help us to um, have our minds and our hearts open to the, the leading and the guiding of your spirit. Lord, we pray that you will speak through Lee. Lord, we pray that you will, by your spirit, speak into our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help us to be focused. Help us to to think deeply about your word. And Lord, as we go from this place back into our workplaces, we pray that you will let us know that you go with us. Um, Lord, help us to be that living water. Help us to bring that living water back with us wherever we go. um, Lord, and serve you. So just be with us now, Lord. Amen. Amen.
2: Good afternoon, everyone. It's lovely to be with you. Uh, Thanks for having me back again. Uh, It'd be great, actually, if you could keep uh, that little passage of John open in front of you. We'll be referring to that uh, as we go. Uh, But as we begin, uh, I wanted to um, just tell you a little bit about an interview I I heard recently. Um, So at the grand old age of 38... Um, Frank Lampard, professional footballer, decided to finally hang up his his boots and retire after a a glittering career. And he was interviewed by a number of people, but one interview I saw was by uh, Gary Lineker. Uh, And when he was interviewed, he was asked the simple question, have you been content or satisfied with your career? Have you been content or satisfied with your career? Now, it got me thinking of what, what we think are the the ingredients for satisfaction and contentment. Uh, For many of us, we'll we'll think immediately of of money. If you have money, you'll be content. Uh, Well, Frank has got plenty of that. He's worth an estimated, has an estimated personal fortune uh, of 30 million pounds. Uh, For others, we'll we'll think on success. If If I reached success in my chosen selected field, then that would be a recipe for contentment and satisfaction. And Frank Lampard scored 211 goals as a a record for a midfielder for Chelsea. Uh, He appeared 106 times for his country in England um, and uh, lifted 12 trophies. By by any measure, the man had a very successful successful career. Uh, For others, we will think, well, I would be satisfied if I was well respected by other people and had lots of attention. Uh, well, Frank and Christine can't go anywhere without a- someone asking them for a selfie now. Uh, very popular, very famous. Um, others of us would think, well, I'd be, I'd be satisfied. I'd be satisfied with the body, beautiful okay, I'd be satisfied with that perfect six-pack or been able to, to, to run this, uh, to do the park run, do a marathon, whatever it was you, you, your measure is, then I would be, I'd be happy. And think of the amount of money and effort and time that people spend in getting fit, staying fit. Uh, and for Frank, that came all as part of the job. He got paid to eat right and stay fit. So all of those normal ingredients that we think make up contentment, I wonder how you think Frank answered his question. Uh, when asked the question, were you satisfied with your career? As quick as a flash, he said, no, I wanted to play longer and win more. I wanted to play longer uh, and win more. Even Frank uh, wasn't satisfied. Uh, now, again, I wonder... Uh, What do you think of that? Maybe you think, well, you know those sports stars and and sports people, they're a a breed apart. They're never happy. They're always uh, pursuing, striving for the next thing, striving to be better, striving to be more successful. Um, What do you think is the recipe for satisfaction? What what are you aiming for? We all know that there's people who are not satisfied out there, but for, for us, often we think, well, the answer to that, the answer for that, the reason for that is they failed. They failed. They've failed in their career. It's never got going. They've failed in that relationship. It's broken up or it hasn't lasted. Um, And so maybe you're thinking, if I want to have success, then it's very simple. Just don't fail. Just work hard, train hard, study hard, and don't fail. Uh, And is that really the recipe for satisfaction? Well, I want to suggest to you uh, this morning that none of those things are the true recipe for satisfaction. Uh, And there's plenty of evidence out there. There People beyond the realm of sports, many of those who have reached the pinnacle of their career, who have experienced fame and fortune, who have got to the very top and realized there's nothing there. Uh, And So I came across this quote this week uh, by Jim Carrey, the famous Hollywood actor, and he said, I wish that everyone could get rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed of so that they could see... That that's not the answer. That's quite profound, I think. Where does satisfaction come from? Where does satisfaction come from? Well, I want to suggest that actually, as we look carefully at this little account, we see where true, deep, soul-quenching uh, satisfaction does come from, and it comes from the Lord Jesus. All those other things, if you're reaching out for something or some person in this world, That is the answer for your satisfaction. You'll always come up short. It'll always be elusive for you. Um, And what I want to do is I want to just walk through this account very quickly. And I want to spot three surprises, three surprises uh, very briefly. The first surprise is the compassion of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. In fact, the first shock, if you read through this, is the location where all this happens. Jesus should never have been there. Uh, if you were a Jew in the first century, um, traveling from Jerusalem in the south, where Jesus was in chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, uh, traveling back home to Galilee in the north, if, a, if you'll pardon the kind of silly illustration, if a Jew was to pull out the Jewish Satnav in the first century and type in Jerusalem location, destination Galilee, it would have given two routes the direct route through Samaria and the correct route around Samaria because uh, Jews and Samarian, uh, and Samaritans hated each other. There was ethnic, religious hostility that was very, very deep uh, and at times violent uh, between them. And yet it's the shock here we read that Jesus must go to Samaria. He must go through Samaria. Why is that? Uh, well, we keep reading. Uh, And then we come not only to the shock of the location, but then the shock of the conversation uh, that Jesus has. Jesus strikes up a conversation with this woman. And that is, in Jesus' day, absolutely scandalous thing to do, uh, to start a conversation with a woman he never met. And also then to ask her to share a drink Now, rabbis in the first century, I'm told, commentators tell me, uh, rabbis in the first century didn't even talk to their wives in public, not to talk about unknown women. Uh, And to share a drink with someone was seen as an intimate act. So for some, um, Jesus would be proposing something scandalous here. Um, and we can see the shock of the woman in sentence number nine: "You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews? Do not associate with Samaritans? Uh, but then, as we read on, the the whole scene becomes even more controversial uh, as you realize you start to look in between the lines see the try to add up the details to see what's going on here. We read that she's a, a woman who's coming out to draw water in the middle of the day. Now, in the, in the Near East, the middle of the day, same as here, but it's obviously more intense. That it's the hottest part of the day. That's not when women went out to draw water. You went out to draw water first thing in the morning when it was cool. And so she is going out to draw water, clearly to avoid the other woman. Why? Well, because as we read on, we, we discover that she is a woman who's been promiscuous. She's had multiple sexual partners, which in her day was a scandal, which her day would involve her being rejected by her, her peers, uh, mocked, ridiculed, scorned. And yet we see that Jesus chats uh, with her, that Jesus crosses every cultural, social, ethnic, gender barrier to connect with this woman. Uh, and really the, the, the heart of the Christian message, the heart of the Christian message, which we see encapsulated here, is that God has crossed every barrier to connect with people like us. Uh, God uh, has crossed the cosmic barrier. He, uh, being the divine God, has in the person of His Son taken on a human nature Uh, Come, become one of us so that he could connect with us uh, and meet us exactly where we are and not where we're supposed to be. I think that's an amazing idea, isn't it? Jesus comes to connect with us where we are and not where we're supposed to be. Uh, He is a God of great compassion. And so the message here is no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, uh, if you come to Jesus, you will find someone with great compassion. Uh, and find a welcome. And we'll talk next week a little bit about the contrast between the woman uh, and Nicodemus that we had, uh, you talked about uh, in chapter three, but we'll come back to that. But first, I want you to see the shock is the shocking compassion uh, of Jesus. Then, secondly, the shocking claim of Jesus. Um, after the woman asks him, how, how is it you're asking me for a drink? Jesus uh, returns. Uh, her question effectively with a, with a statement in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, you think I'm asking you for something, but the truth is I'm just, that's just an excuse for me to offer you something. Uh, I want to offer you living water. And at this point, there's all sorts of confusion. She thinks H2O. Uh, but Jesus is using this, this, this metaphor of living water uh, as, as a picture for something far greater and far more important than, than H2O. Um, in uh, the, the Near East, um, and in many, many countries today, not something we experience here in, in wet Northern Ireland, wet green Northern Ireland, but in the ancient Near East especially, uh, if you did not have access to clean water, you died. Very simple. No water, no life. Okay? Uh, and so, what Jesus is actually saying is that He can provide something that will do for your soul what physical H2, H2O can do for your body. He can offer us something that would do to our soul, provide for our souls, what H2O does for our bodies uh, providing a deep quenching satisfaction that nothing else can provide Uh, you may think in verse um, in verse 16 Jesus seems to change the subject in a weird way Uh, so they're talking about living water and there's a bit of confusion about that and then Jesus suddenly brings up her relationship status ask her to go and bring her husband Um, and it does look initially like a, a pretty clunky change of gear and a weird change of subject but actually Jesus is it's not a change of subject at all because Jesus is gently compassionately graciously putting his finger on the very thing that she looked to in her life to provide that satisfaction what did she look to? romantic love She'll not be the first, she'll not be the last who looks to romantic love to be the thing that satisfies the longing of your heart, uh, that completes you, that, that, that fills you, uh, gives you a sense of meaning and purpose. Um, uh, there's many people out there that look uh, for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to be the thing uh, that satisfies them. but she's discovered that, in, that this has been a comp- this little. Quest of hers has been a failure. Uh, Marriage one breaks down. Uh, And you can understand that. They were probably young, uh, young and foolish. We all make mistakes when we're young and foolish. But then marriage number two, and three, and four, and five breaks down. And she's now completely disillusioned with marriage at all and she's just living with a guy. Uh, Jesus is gently putting his finger on the thing that she looked to to satisfy her, but had failed. And she's not alone. Because if you come to any human relationship and think this is the the person, this is the thing that will iron out the wrinkles of my character, that will heal me of the flaws that I've got, no relationship can ever stand that pressure. Uh, It will ultimately crumble under the weight uh, but Jesus is pointing to something else, something else uh, that will satisfy. But actually, the prob- before, we, before we get to what he's offering in more detail, just for a second, it's just worth pointing out that not only is what, she, what she's doing, what we all do in different ways, futile. It doesn't work. It's actually insulting to God. Uh, looking to any created thing whether it's your career or success or a relationship, whatever it is for you, if you look to anything in this world to be the thing that satisfies you, the thing you live for, then actually that's what the Bible calls sin, actually. Uh, that's what we mean. Uh, and so what, it, what we're talking about here is not just something that is futile, but something that actually is offensive to God. When we look to the gift and not the, and ignore the giver, Uh, That is actually offensive to God. We are built, Augustine talks about uh, how we are made for a relationship. Our souls only find rest uh, when they find their rest in God. We are built for a relationship with God. Uh, If we choose to put something else at the center of our lives, it will leave a gaping hole a massive void that could never be filled. It'll never be filled with success, fame or fortune or any human relationship. What we have on offer, however, is something that can satisfy because Jesus is God. Uh, To know him is to know God. You'll you'll come to that later in John's Gospel. Um, But lastly, I want you to see not only this, The the compassion of Jesus, the claim that Jesus makes that he is the only one that can satisfy as the son of God, the Messiah. But lastly, and now we're springing out of this passage a little bit. But I want you to see that this, although it's a free offer to her, there is a cost for Jesus to make this offer. This offer of satisfaction, the quenching of the thirst of her soul uh, requires Jesus to go thirsty requires Jesus to go thirsty for him to offer her uh, that quenching satisfaction, he has to be uh, has to go without. Uh, we see that in his incarnation, his God taking on flesh, becoming one of us. Um, she it is only possible because Jesus, uh, as the divine Son of God, took on a human nature, uh, he experienced tiredness. He experienced hunger and thirst. He had to experience all of that to make this offer to her. But there's a second time that actually thirst is mentioned in John's gospel. And John is a clever writer uh, and he always has, um, he never is totally satisfied with just a physical explanation of things. There is always deeper significance in what he's, what he's what he refers to. And so Jesus picks up the fact that Jesus from the cross declares that he is thirsty. He is thirsty. Yes, he's physically dehydrated. But actually at the cross, what is happening is Jesus is experiencing cosmic thirst. Being cut off from the source of all life and satisfaction. Being cut off from his father. Why? So that he could give us that relationship so that he could give us that satisfaction that we don't naturally deserve, that we could never earn, but is given to us at a, as a free gift from him. We, in, when you guys are all working in the city, it does feel, doesn't it, like a treadmill, like a treadmill, always trying to get on to the next thing, complete the next project, get to the next level and we're seduced even as believers into thinking that if I do manage to be successful in this project, get on to the next rung of the ladder in my career, I will be more satisfied. I will, then I'll be content. What you're offered here is liberty from, liberty from that. It's great. Work hard, of course, do your best. Do, do your job to honor God, but all be aware that those things are not the things that will satisfy you. Uh, what we have here is wonderful liberty wonderful joy, uh, satisfaction of knowing that actually my self-identity doesn't depend on the fleeting opinion of other people because I'm accepted by God. Um, To know that actually uh, even if my, my ambitions are not met, I am not a failure because I am valued by God. I am safe, I am secure, accepted and loved because of what Jesus has done for me. And when that sinks in, drops from here to here, then we begin to experience real contentment, real satisfaction. Uh, And that is what is on offer for each uh, and every one of us. Thank you very much. Okay, I'll pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this beautiful picture, uh, beautiful window into the character of the Lord Jesus, uh, our Savior. Father, we thank you for his compassion. Uh, Father, we know that we could never earn his attention or his favor. And so we thank you so much uh, that you sent us to him and that by his spirit he meets us um, where we are and not where we're supposed to be. Father, we thank you for this wonderful offer, an offer of true satisfaction that can be found in him. We pray, please, that we would uh, learn to re- resist the lies of this world uh, and lean to, uh, into our relationship with the Lord Jesus to find rest. Uh, to find security and comfort in the joy of our relationship with you. Uh, And we pray, please, that we would marvel at the cost that Jesus paid to make this relationship, uh, this satisfaction that we taste now and will be a a fuller reality for us later. We thank you for the price he paid. Uh, We pray all of this uh, in Jesus' name.